Who do Hitler, JFK, and Jacob Hoover have in common? Find out next. This is Book Circle Online, featuring in-depth discussion, insight, news, and commentary on all the world's leading book titles and their authors. And now, Book Circle Online. <laughs> Hello, and welcome. I'm having a little laugh before the show comes on. Hello, welcome to Book Circle Online. I am your host, James Lodge Jr., and of course, I'm excited to bring you another Great author, great book. Oh my god, this book is so good. You guys need to run, not walk, and get it. Well, I guess you could walk to your Kindle or Nook and get it there too. But either way, you get this book. It's so good. Um, my guest is a New York Times bestselling author. He has several other books out. That one of them I want to read about the almost presidents. I want to read that. He's a former bureau chief for United Press International, a political columnist. He's worked in politics. We're talking about Gray Davis. So it's like it's a name in California. If you don't know who that is, you can Google that. His latest book actually has a really fascinating story about this woman who I had never heard before. And when I saw the title, you had me at the title, as they say. It's Inga and Kennedy's Great Love, Hitler's Perfect Beauty, and Jago Hoover's Prime Suspect. I mean, she literally was all three of those things and more. The author is Scott Ferris. Hi, James. Thank you for being Let me be here. <laughs> thank you for being here. Thank you, thank you for letting here. me be here. Yeah, there we we're here together. How are you, sir? I'm very well, thank you. Um, yes. This book, I mean, I mean, I was just like, oh my god, the title had me. I was like, okay, that's a, whoever told you to get that title together, that was really good. Well, thank you. And I was like, get you get to people in. So, Ingrid Arvet, so she was somebody who I had never heard before in my life, mm-hmm. and when I read this book, I was in love with her. She's a fascinating woman. Uh, as one of the blurbs from, from uh, the author Nigel Hamilton said, she's a character no novelist could invent. God, you say that, people, when you read this book, seriously. <laughs> I was going to name something. Sure. Okay, her men. Which was, to me, one of the major threads in this book, themes in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, she was married to an Egyptian diplomat, married to a familiar named Paul Fejos. She had people, I mean, after her or enthralled with her or she was part of their lives. A cowboy movie star Tim McCoy, Winston Churchill's right-hand man, um, uh, John Gunther, JFK, a Jewish Air Force surgeon, William G.K. I mean, just he, he, the list is like she had these people who were just enamored with her. You know, the, uh, the very, very successful men just were drawn to her because she made them feel that they were as special as they liked, hoped they, they were. And so, so she was drawn to men of accomplishment, and they felt that uh, she was an enormously positive influence. She later saw two of her former lovers, the Egyptian diplomat who she divorced, yeah. and Churchill's right-hand man, a guy named Robert Boothby, who mm-hmm. they were engaged and then broke the engagement. And they both told her later in life, if we had stayed married, I would have been the prime minister of Egypt or the prime minister of Great Britain. That's the, the kind of effect she had on them. She just gave them this enormous confidence. And they just fell at her feet. You know, she's beautiful, she's brilliant, she's charming. Uh, and they just, you know, uh, she, she was uh, just a remarkable woman. And they fell in love with her almost immediately. Several times she got engaged on their second date. So that's, yes, how, yes. that's, how, that's how alluring she was. What I found fascinating was at the end of her life, um, McCoy was the one who came back around. Pardon me? McCoy, McCoy was the one who came back at, towards the end of her life. Oh, yes. And they're in turn together. That's true. And, and uh, you know, it was, she was looking, well, her whole life she was looking trying to find a partner. It's, it's that one balance that we all, in modern yeah, life, we're yeah. all looking for the balance of how yes. do we achieve our potential in our careers and yeah. still have a romance and a love life. And so she was looking for a man that she thought was special, that she could help achieve their full potential. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of them, you know, they, they loved her, and then, but they would leave her behind. Yeah. And then she finally met Tim McCoy, and finally there was yeah. somebody who said, yes, let's have a family, let's have children, let's establish a home. Yeah. But then, of course, he went on the road all the time, <laughs> yes. too. He was a rodeo. He, he had got, uh, was no longer in motion pictures and started mm-hmm. uh, touring with, uh, 
with circuses. His, his yeah. hero was Buffalo Bill Cody. Yes. He always wanted to do the yeah. Wild West show. <laughs> so that's who she ended up with, uh, the, a guy who at one point was considered one of the ten great Western movie yes. stars of all time. Yeah, I've seen that. And actually, I had mentioned his name to my aunt, who was at that time period, and she knew who he was. She was like, oh, I know, I know who he was, of course, because she loved Westerns. Oh, yeah, he, he was, he's great. I mean, he was, a, he was a star when John Wayne and Ward Bond were extras, and he yeah. actually knew, <laughs> and he knew real life cowboy. He knew yeah. Wyatt Earp. He knew Bat yeah. Masterson. He knew Buffalo yeah. Bill Cody. It's amazing. His alone is a fascinating yeah, story. Yeah, it's a story. It's a whole other story, right? Another story yeah. there. But I just thought it was interesting that he was the one who came around. You said they weren't together anymore, but he came around at the end and was kind of it was there for her at the end, basically. And then they decided to kind of because I guess she had no funeral or anything, right? It was no no. It was odd because one of the themes of the book is her sort of constant quest for a spiritual life. She's yeah, very, she's very fascinated by people like some of the Kennedys who had yeah. this deep religious faith because she kept looking for that. And she found you know looked into various forms of Christianity when she went to the Far East. She was fascinated mm-hmm. by Buddhism. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when she died, uh, even though she would you know, go to different churches every Sunday with the boys, uh, they decided not to have a funeral for yeah. her, which was odd. And that's why I say the book is her eulogy. I don't like when you, I like when you I was going to mention that. I like that you said that. I was kind of like, yeah, this is a, a good testament to her life and her, a celebration of her life that she didn't get when you most people get them at, the, at funerals. They get them at the at service. They usually get a retrospective, so to speak. They do. Well, you mentioned I mean, she's obscure, and, and, it, and it is in, in some ways. I mean, in most Kennedy biographies, there's like a page about her. Maybe, it, maybe just yeah. a paragraph. Um, but though a lot of people will say, and this is how I got the idea for the book, I'm not that bright. People kept saying, <laughs> gee, you know, somebody should write a book about Inga Arved. She had this incredible life. So you read that about six or seven times, and then oh, you go, oh yeah. yes, that's what I should do, is write a book about <laughs> Inga, Inga Arved. And, and so, uh, but I, I, she was sort of dismissed, partly because she was a woman, mm-hmm. partly because this belief that John Kennedy didn't have any serious romances. He was only interested in right. betting women. But this was a woman he deeply loved. Uh, he wanted to marry her. And I think one of the interesting things about the book is you have two people in John Kennedy and Inga Arvad who had everything, you know, looks and talent and charm. They had everything they wanted except each other. And that just mm-hmm. couldn't work because of her past and his future. He had this ambition he wanted to stoke that she encouraged. Yes. But she had this past where she had been married a couple of times and she was considered a, f- a suspected Nazi spy. Yes. Oh, yeah. And so they, they couldn't come together. And uh, it's, in some ways, it's, it's a bit of a love story. And it's a different perspective on Kennedy. We, you know, Kennedy, for a while, of course, was, had, was a subject of only hagiographies. You know, he was perfect. He was the greatest American mm-hmm. president. And then we started Kennedy bashing, and now he's just, you know, scum of the earth. He's, he's not better than, no better than Donald Trump. The truth is he's a very complex and interesting man. And this is him at his most appealing because he's genuinely in love, trying to figure out how can I marry a twice-divorced a twice woman, who actually was still married at the time, uh, yeah. And it was suspected Nazi spy and still run for president. So yeah, it, was, it was a tough balance. I think I could do it now no. um, <laughs> with things going on these days. But no, that, that's what I found fascinating with the book because you really do, you illustrate that story. You illustrate that, you, the surroundings and what's going on behind the scenes and what's going on with her and with him. You, I read that in the story. Like you actually literally break it down. And that is the thing. It's like we all want love. We all want, you know, respect. We all want a life that's happy, right? Mostly. And there are things that kind of get in the way of that. Well, she had a line. You know, she's very philosophic, and, and she's a fascinating person. You mentioned before we went on the air how much you would like to talk with her. Because yes, I'd love to talk. She had all these insights into the human nature and life. And she said, you know, when Kennedy finally had to break it off under pressure from his family, she said, I realize now that it's true. We pay for everything in life. That, you know, we're the sum total of the choices we make. And some choices preclude other choices. And so she said, if I had known marrying uh, the, the Egyptian diplomat uh, uh, Nabi or the filmmaker Paul Fayhouse, uh, would make me so I couldn't marry Jack Kennedy. I would have stayed a spinster, yeah. but because she had already been married twice and wanted to marry into the most famous Catholic family yeah, in America in a time when divorce was frowned upon, oh yeah, she couldn't have this perfect mate. He, she would have been a fabulous first lady. 
I think she would have too. Oh my god, I, think I completely agree with that. I think she would have. It, it's just fate always gets me. I, lo- I love reading stories about fate and how you reap what you sow, or just or associations they come back to haunt you and things like that. And and this book talks about that in so many different ways. You know, it, it is. I mean, you know, she, again, she said, for example, let's talk about her time in Nazi Germany. Yes. So she was a cub reporter. She had never... For the 1936 Olympics, for folks who don't, may not know that, yeah, right? Uh, yes, she, 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 she went to some Danish newspapers and somehow charmed them into giving her some press credentials. Yes. And she goes to Germany knowing nobody. Yes. Ends up knowing virtually the entire higher echelon of the Nazi party, including Adolf Hitler, who'd found her absolutely charming and developed mm-hmm. a minor crush on her. Yes. And so he granted her some exclusive interviews that made worldwide news because mm-hmm. she was focused on what we would call human interest stories today. She wasn't mm-hmm. so much interested in Hitler's policies towards the Jews or his, his rearming of the Sudetenland. She wanted to know why he was a vegetarian. Right. You know, right. why he's never married. What are the role of women mm-hmm. in the Third Reich? And uh, she said, you know, she got a lot of acclaim for that. She was kind of a real-life Brenda star. She had these mm-hmm. glamorous photos with her byline. Yeah. But then when she came to America and the world was at war, she was suddenly a suspected spy. Yeah. And she was, you know, mercilessly harassed by the FBI. Because FDR went after her, didn't he? FDI yeah. personally. T- yeah. Hoover eventually, at one point, J. Edgar Hoover said, you know, I'm not sure <laughs> yes. she's a spy. Maybe we should drop <laughs> the investigation. And Roosevelt like, no. said, no, keep yeah, going. He was not, I remember reading keep that. Like, he was like, no. And so what Inga said, and, and this haunted her throughout her entire life, even when she gave birth to her children in the birth announcements, somebody would turn it into a news story because she was married to Tim oh, McCoy, the movie star. And it was always like Inga Arvad, whom Adolf Hitler called the most perfect Nordic oh, beauty he'd ever God. seen. And so she said, what had once been a halo had slipped down and become a noose. Ooh. Which I thought was a great line. Yeah. Just like, just, cause like, cause I mean, I mean, who, I mean, first of all, who goes from Hitler to be on the radar of FDR, or this Franklin Roosevelt, if you guys don't know that, uh, Jacob Hoover to Tim, I mean, how, I mean, just how does someone, tra- how does someone you think live a life where it's like you go from this big person to this iconic person to this iconic person? I mean, like, how does that even happen? Well, you know, people, several people have said, you know, well, she's like Zelig or she's like <laughs> Forrest Gump. And I said, <laughs> Well, I said, you know, it's just a remarkable thing that she's always sort of with these famous people, I said, but she wasn't accidental. I mean, it was because of who she was and her charm and her talent that she kept attracting attention and being just in the most fascinating places at the most fascinating times. Have you met people in in your life and travels, you've been around a while, done a lot of different things, that you feel have that light, that have it? I mean, I've certainly met some people who've had some fascinating lives and people who have an awful lot of gifts but I've never met anybody like this. Yeah. Now, my wife already knows this, so it's not a revelation. <laughs> yeah. I, d- I developed a huge crush on her. Right I was going to ask you what you feel about her. So that's one of my questions. Yeah. I was going to ask you how. My thing was, in doing this book, what is your overall feeling about her? And you're actually answering it to me, yes. Yeah, and, and she's not perfect. I mean, I think hope the book catch, captures all of her complexities. And sometimes you just want to grab her and shake her and say, Oh, well, I told us I wanted to. Yeah, oh, my why, God. Why are you making this choice? Don't do this. And uh, But she also, again, she's so charming and she's unaffected. Uh, you know, she's she's this gorgeous woman and she's... Uh, uh, one reporter said she has this embarrass- the embarrassment of riches and, and she's, you know, she was a prima ballerina she was a concert pianist, she was an actress she was an explorer, a writer one of the most powerful gossip columnists in Hollywood for a while yeah. and, and yet uh, as her final husband said she was utterly devoid of vanity you know, she she never she never alienated people by you know being sort of a diva. She was just a, well, some people thought she was, a diva, yeah. But generally, most people thought she was charming and down to earth and approachable, and she's just the kind of person you'd love to sit down with, with a glass of wine and talk about life. And she, I mean, she was. I mean, I like I want to watch her journalist part because she was a journalist. I mean, that's a big deal. I mean, she, like you said, she was running things for a while in terms of the gossip columns or just like human interest stories, which today, of course. Is everything today? I mean, that's basically all we what I call infotainment. It's all kind of got that direction. She was kind of in the forefront of that and being a woman. 
doing that. So let's talk about that. I mean, that's like a major deal. Well, I think so, too. You know, the 30s were an interesting time for women. It was obviously sort of pre-feminist, but it was sort of the, the, the early feminist period mm-hmm. where women were saying, we can be more than nurses and teachers. I mean, mm-hmm. those are honorable professions, but there's some other ones. <laughs> Excuse me. And one of them was journalism. And so he had an awful lot of women going into journalism in the 1930s and getting a lot of worldwide attention. And, and like I said, Brenda Starr came out in 1940, yeah, yeah. reflecting that. They're here, yeah. all these glamorous gal reporters, as they were called. <laughs> yes. And, and getting so into... So crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it was considered a very uh, glamorous lifestyle. And so that's one of the things that attracted Inga. Yeah. And she loved people. She loved to talk to people. That's what I got from her. Yeah. She, she, said, she said, I love human beings. I just want to hear... I talk to talking to them. And, and they said that uh, she could just, again, bring out... She could get people to open up in a ways that most people can't. Once you started talking to her a couple of minutes, somehow she managed you to have you relax, and you would tell her your whole life story. And and uh, again, she, of course, that makes people feel good. I mean, it's, it's one thing to be fascinating; it's even better to make other people feel fascinating. That's always my. That's always what I try to do. I always try to do that with, with my guests. I want you. I want you guys to feel safe and secure, and be able to talk. Yeah. And I think she done and some of the things you were reading about her, she got people to do that, obviously. Yeah. And got her and got her FaceTime with people. People just completely were they were in with her. Um so Inga started out, she was in Sweden. No, Danish. She was Danish. She's Danish, yes. Okay, and so I mean how did I mean, Dan, I mean you know, it's a small country and I mean how do you go from there to I mean Well her mother uh was determined to turn her into somebody special. Yeah. So her her mother uh, had had a child uh, before her fa- mother and father obviously, and, and the baby <laughs> yes. and the baby died, yeah, uh, very young. And so then her father had contracted malaria in South Africa, and so he died when Inga was four. And so her mother Olga, uh, they just decided to mold Inga into this very special person. And Inga eventually rebelled against that a little bit, but at some level she was also very grateful for the opportunities her mother gave her. So from mm-hmm. the age of four to eight. Inga didn't go to school. She and her mother traveled Europe. Her mother okay. took her to museums and showed her history of Europe and the culture of Europe. Taught her, you know, she ended up speaking four languages fluently, yeah. um, and so she became this very, uh, you know, unique person, and who was very comfortable with different cultures and different places and moving around, mm-hmm. and so she could learn to talk to anybody. So, in some ways, she was a product of her mother's sort of single-minded devotion to make her somebody special. And so, initially, she was going to be one of the world's great ballerinas. And so, she was studying at the Royal Danish Ballet, where they told her she was going to be the next Pavlova. And then she had a friend who was a concert pianist, and so she decided to try that. She ends up studying under two of the most famous piano teachers in Europe, and she's going to be a piano teacher. But then she enters the Miss Denmark contest there you go. Yes, of 1931. Denmark. And maybe that's one of the things. Denmark's kind of a small country. Yeah. She wins the pageant. It's kind of a lark. And the next thing you know, her life goes on this weird yeah. trajectory. She meets this, meets this charming Egyptian when she's in Paris. He begs her to marry him. She goes, lives in Cairo for a while, doesn't like it, uh, has to escape out of the country into a ruse that she has some rare disease that can only be treated in Davos, Switzerland. <laughs> so it, it's it's a lot like a Hitchcock movie, yeah, the whole book, you know, with sort of even even if you're not talking about Nazi Germany, there's still all of this intrigue and mm-hmm. and romance and international glamour. It's again yes. quite a story. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about the mechanics of you writing this book and gathering information for this book because. Um, again, you're writing a biography of someone. So you decide, someone said you should write a book about her. What was your, what were your first steps, kind of? Well, the first step, she has two sons who are living. Okay, uh, they are both, okay. They're both right, uh, retired. Both of them were teachers. One uh, taught auto mechanics and shop at a community college and high school level. The other was a university professor mm-hmm. specializing in the history of Native Americans. Cause so it must be when they're 70s at this point? Well, yes, they're both close to that yeah, anyway, both yeah. in the 60s, I think. And so the first was get their cooperation, find out what they had in their possession. And one of the great things for a historian is when you find that people have saved a lot of stuff. Yes. Oh and she God. saved all her letters, including the oh, one. Oh, wow. 
And so, you know, her, and plus, uh, and then plus John F. Kennedy saved all her letters. And that's kind of interesting, just a sidelight real quickly. Yeah, well, no, tell, no, please tell me, yes. Yeah, so uh, Kennedy actually didn't write a lot. Well, he had a couple of co- corresponding pen pals, a very good friend okay. named Lem Billings. But the women, uh, he wrote letters to, but the only letters he saved were of Inga's. And researchers, after Kennedy died, and the people doing the Kennedy Library were going through his papers, they found a, a scrapbook, essentially. And in there were letters from only uh, four people, from his father, from his oldest brother, from his older sister, whom he adored, or younger sister, whom he adored, and from Inga. Wow. So that shows you kind of her place in his life, yeah. her status. And so he'd saved her letters, and there, you can read them online at the Kennedy Library. Okay. Uh, she saved his letters. Um, and then she had letters, like I said, from, from all the people we've talked about, wow. Boothby and everybody. Then the FBI, and this is okay. one thing. Now, some people out there were saying, well, I don't really care about the Kennedys. What relevance does this have today? Well, big issue today is obviously government surveillance and mm-hmm. civil liberties. When she was a suspected Nazi spy, the FBI pulled out all the stops. They, they tapped her phone. They bugged her apartment. They broke into her apartment. They stole her mail. They broke into her mother's apartment. They had informants all over, including Elizabeth Arden, the famous cosmetics yeah. maid, oh, yeah. was an informant against Inga. <gasps> oh, my God. And so there is a 1,200-page file on Inga in the National Archives, oh an FBI God. file. And Hoover kept it. It was part of his what he called personal and confidential files, which were the ones that he had dirt on famous people. And so, uh, first of all, he had it, kept it at hand because of Joe Kennedy, the, the father. Yeah. But then once Jack Kennedy began becoming famous, yeah. uh, uh, he also pulled it out and made sure that Jack Kennedy knew he had the file. Yeah. And that was one of the reasons that the very first thing that John Kennedy did after his election was to call J. Edgar Hoover and ask him to stay on as director of the FBI. All his supporters had been saying, we've got to get rid of Hoover. He's an anti-civil libertarian. He's yeah. a right-wing guy. He's opposed to civil rights. But Kennedy knew he had the file on Inga and him. And so he reappointed Hoover to kind of keep him quiet. That was certainly one of the key reasons. Well, you know, I want, you know, I'm glad you bring that up. I just want to bring up that people who are not old enough or don't realize that, you know, we had a time in our history where um, being suspected of a communist was not a good thing. Nope. There's a whole, especially in, in this industry, there was a whole blacklisting thing that happened. It ruined, I mean, like, ruined careers forever. Mm-hmm. Very few rebound. Some people rebounded, a few did. But, like, their careers were, like, but you're saying the ruthless tactics of being anti-civil liberties. I mean, they were just going in and just like, we're going to do whatever we want. Yeah, they, they, those are rooted back in the 1930s. They didn't start yeah. in the 1960s. They started yeah. in the 1930s. And some of it was anti-communist. Some of it was people who were, uh, obviously, who were, were considered uh, favorable to fascism oh, or yes. people who were even just anti-interventionists in the war. Yeah. And it was directed not only by J. Edgar Hoover. It's sad to say, I know a lot of people, me included, believe Franklin Roosevelt was one of our greatest presidents. He was not a fan of civil liberties. Yeah, he was I more see. than happy to set them aside. And he uh, basically directed Hoover, agreed with Hoover, with, to go around some Supreme Court rulings and, and wiretap anyway. The Supreme Court ruled it was illegal, and the FBI and, and Roosevelt decided to work yeah, around it. Yeah. And when Hoover, like I said, decided that, well, maybe there's not that much information on Miss Arved, we were wrong after about six months of surveillance. Roosevelt personally wrote him a note and said, no, I want you to continue. Yeah, I remember he said, you want to keep going? I was like, you want to keep going? I, I was like, um... <laughs> Which, I mean, the reason why I, I want to talk about this a little bit is because it is, people, the past can be repeated. And that's why I think it's important to say stuff like this now, because, you know, there's things happening now, you know, for certain parts of people that this could happen again on some level. Well, I think it, it is At least happening. happening now. Yeah. But more, it's, uh, the technology, of course, is much bigger and, you know, more sneakier than it was then. But uh, we don't, it's not the first time we've been through this before. Well, and, and one of Inga's great frustrations was, how do I clear my name? Right. Where do I go to, and who do I see to get? And she asked the FBI, "Can I have a, a diploma?" She called it a diploma. Yes, I remember that, that, diploma, that yes. I'm not a spy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the FBI said, well, "We can't give you a diploma like that." But after their initial interview of her, yeah. when, when she was first outed by, as a suspected spy, yeah. 
The FBI never talked to her again until 1945. So for four years, she's under surveillance, and the FBI is taking all these notes and and making all these insinuations about various things she's doing that are basically harmless. But if, <laughs> if, you know, when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. <laughs> yes, I like and, that. And so she kept saying, you know, where do I go? She went. She kept wanting to get an interview with Hoover to clear this. Up, yes, and Hoover would never see her. And they think about today. We have the no-fly list. Yes, we do. Lots of people are on it. They don't know why they're on it. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, a mistaken identity. It's somebody else's name that they got attached with. Yeah, exactly. And so we do have the same trouble. When you have secret government agencies who've decided to make you an object of suspicion, how do you clear yourself? There's no venue. There's no court. There's no mm-hmm. you know, forum to do that. Mm-hmm. So that's what is important. So books like this you have, you talk a little bit about that kind of stuff. I think it's important because, again, it's part of our history. Not that long ago history either. No. You think about it, not that long ago. And that things sometimes can be doomed and repeated. We should keep our ears and eyes open because um, I'll just say this really quickly, it's important to vote on all levels of, from local to national because mm-hmm. there may be laws, bills, measures that you have no idea are going on right now that can affect your life. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. affect your actual civil liberty. Mm-hmm. So it's very important. So I'm just saying that was a time period that was really rough, and I know I'm sure. I just wonder how she must have felt, just like having to go through that, just knowing that she is being watched. Well, she said, "She, I feel like I can't go anywhere without wondering that every man who looks at me is an FBI agent." Right. And uh, it, there was some, you know, there's actually some farce to it too, because like I said, the FBI, she's not a spy, but they're determined to find something. Right, find something. And, right. and they're and they're like I said, they're recording everything she says, and there's mm-hmm. you know, and, they, and there's even verbatim. You know, transcripts of her and Kennedy talking. The tapes were likely destroyed. People, uh, yeah, I'm sure. Pe- people wonder what are these tapes of Inga and Jack Kennedy making love? You know, right? That, yeah, right. Sure. And I can explain why they don't those don't <laughs> exist. But but she felt she was being constantly followed and surveyed, and she was. And even her ex, her soon to be ex husband, had also gotten wind of her affair with Kennedy, and so he hired a private detective. And pretty soon you have the FBI saying, "Well, how do we?" They had found out about this because of the taping, and they were like, "Well, we can't be caught by the other." private detective. Yeah. So it's like a French farce where everybody's kind of bumping into yes. each other and they always have to exit stage left and right. <laughs> and you go, these are the people running our national intelligence? Right. <laughs> Good Lord. Some kind How of did weird we win thing. the war? Yeah, yeah. How did so, we win the war? Yeah, 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 yeah. There's something about your national intelligence. There's some kind of word there going on there. Yes. Yeah. That's crazy. But it, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's a fascinating story. But like I said, this this whole thing of government surveillance is rooted far deep, more deeply than people know. Yeah. In fact, one other thing, one of the reasons that Roosevelt um, asked Hoover to keep investigating her was he had his own private uh, political operatives, uh, sort of a dirty tricks campaign, sort of a predecessor of Nixon's plumbers, where yeah. he hired some journalists to dig up dirt on his political oh, yeah. opponents. Right. And and the implication is in some of these memos to Hoover is that Roosevelt has his own sources on Inga, and he's hearing rumors, and he wants them investigated. But he doesn't want to let anybody know he has this kind of political right. unit in the White House, so he can't tell anybody what it is. Right. And there are no records of it at Hyde Park, yeah. so he can't find out. And, you know, he, he was president four, four times, folks. Yeah. Four times. And in many ways, a great man. But yeah. in terms of civil liberties, not a great man. <laughs> yes, yes. So as you're, gathering, as you're gathering information, so you're talking to the sons, you're going on to Kitty stuff, you're, you're getting information, do you already have an outline of the book itself, or are you creating the outline as you're going along? I created the outline as I was going on, and I suddenly realized, the obviously, the overarching story of historical significance is her relationship with Kennedy. Yes. And I thought just a chronological biography would be very dull. And so what I wanted to do, so the book, I, I tried to make it like a novel. Which you I, did. You, you succeeded. Thank you. So succeeded. I hope that people will, will get into it. So, you know, we start with this Ken, you know, the Kennedy relationship and how they just were immediately attracted to each other and then how he slowly realizes her about her past. 
and sort of realizes how you know much trouble she's in, yeah. and which means how much trouble he's in. Yeah. And you know, I don't know if a lot of people know that, but when their relationship was exposed in Walter Winchell's column, which Walter Winchell being once the most another, famous yes, gossip, gossip columnist yes. in America, and probably fed the information by Jack Kennedy's father. Oh. That Jack Kennedy nearly got court-martialed out of the Navy because he was an officer wow. in naval intelligence. And that set in motion a series of events that led Kennedy to leave this boring desk job in Charleston, South Carolina, where he'd been shipped to, to get him away from Inga, to combat in the South Pacific, wow. where his boat was sunk. He became a war hero. I remember that. I knew that one. And the first journalist to, uh, to publicize his heroics nationally was Inga Arvat. There you go. So, you know, everything we know about Kennedy's war heroics really started with the stuff she did. Wow. So she, she influenced his life in so many ways. Uh, again, she, she deserves more than a footnote. I thought she deserved a whole book. Right. So you put together, so you gather information. The outline is coming together. Um, and so then what's the next step after that? Do you, then you sit down and you start to write the chapters each by each, or how's that, how does that work? Yeah, you, you, you do an outline and start writing the chapters. Uh, each each chapter, so it's uh, the book is fairly thick, and people are looking at it. Well, yeah, I thought that. I was like, it's like like Stephen King's It, which was a thousand pages, but no, it's not at all. Just it's just a big thick book, but it's yeah. But really most good. most of the chapters are like three to five yeah, pages. Yeah, and so the and then you sort of sit there and just sort of move them around to try to figure out what makes the narrative flow mm, the best. Interesting, you know. So how hard was that? It was hard. I mean, it took a long time yeah. to sort of figure out, and and even some at the end, you say, well, this whole section when she's off exploring the jungles of Asia, which is kind of a thing. Where do you put that? And yeah, and move it around. But you start to try to put it all together so it makes sense and builds to this climax because there is this thing, you know. Again, there's there's an arch to the whole story where it's just there's obviously what's going to. Ha- I mean, we all know, but what's going to happen with Jack and Inga? Are they going to be able to stay yeah. together, or is he going to give her up to go for politics? Right? Or will he will he forgo his ambitions to be with the woman he loves? And mm-hmm. so it's. Uh, you're just trying to look for that dramatic tension, which is a little different way to write history because mm-hmm. most biographies are, you know, they were born, blah, 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 yeah, blah, then they, they die. die. Uh, but this is really as much about this sort of overarching story about a woman who has made some choices in life. She finally meets the man of her dreams, but there's all these complications. Yep. How's it going to turn out? And how has that influenced history? Because so much of yeah. history is is based on these little personal things that, we think of sort of great events and the grand sweep of history, and a lot of times it's things about who you love. <laughs> yes, yes, and and in his book, especially, I found myself every time she met a, you know, a good man, I was hoping she would stay with him. <laughs> yes, it's, I actually started with you at Fay House. I thought I thought they should stay together. I thought it'll be I mean the way they met it was cute. I was thinking, oh, you have to read the book, of course, to find all this stuff out. But I was like hoping they would kind of stay together, kind of, and then obviously they didn't stay together. No, no. A lot of fascinating romances. Like yes. I said, some of the most famous men of the 20th century fell at her feet, and you see just sort of how the whole world goes. I mean, and it wasn't just Kennedy. She was also yeah. engaged, as I said, to Winston Churchill's right-hand man, a guy mm-hmm. named Robert Boothby, member of parliament. A lot of people thought he was going to be the prime minister of England, but he's also up for election, too. Mm-hmm. And so he has to make the same calculations that Kennedy's making about, I love this woman, she's wonderful, but now now they sort of know that she was a Nazi spy, and I proposed to her within three days, which makes me look ridiculous. Yes. How do I get out of this? And you know, How do I keep her and still win re-election? He won re-election, but she was a little disgusted with his political calculations, so he didn't get to keep her. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great thing. You bring in the Hitler thing, too, of people of his great stature of politics. So looking at Hitler as a politician and all that, just looking at all that, that they were all enamored with her. It's like he that this woman got their attention. I know 
now they're iconic for us. But I mean, back then they were just they were politicians basically. And but they were. I mean, we look back now, go, wow, this this one woman attracted these people that are so iconic that they were just like, what do you want? Whatever you want. What do you want? I mean, like <laughs> that were reduced to. The, they, I mean, almost it almost like to say it humanizes Hitler, humanizes people in a way. It's like it's kind of like, well, we're still men. Well, and I think that's one other <laughs> thing about Inga that you know that there is. I mean, she. If, if I, I print her stories about Hitler, her interviews and. He does come across as a human being, which, yes. which he was, which yes. I think is actually a good lesson. It's so easy to demonize and think that somehow these people are genetically malfunctioned yeah. when, in fact, there are human beings that should be a cautionary tale to all of us. So who knows what mm-hmm. we're all capable of? And she was. She just saw him as another person that was kind of interesting and uh, didn't see him. She had no idea the Holocaust was a few years down <laughs> right. the road. Right. So he was just an interesting world leader for him. Right. And I would say he was a, po- he was a politician. He and was a more than that, he was just a man. And yeah. he, you know, and apparently he was a very odd man. We don't know if he ever yeah. had any genuine romance with a woman. But yeah. he did develop crushes, and this was the kind of woman that men had crushes on. You look at the, the cover. Yeah. It's obviously a, a spectacular photograph. Yeah. But people said... No photograph ever did her justice, including that one. You had to meet her in person to know what all the fuss was about. Wow. It's, I've met people like that, where I know that they're they're okay on pictures. When you meet them, you're like, there's the spirit yes. that's behind the face. Yes. Or the or, or the way the embodied language moves. You're like, okay, now I get it. Like, you go, okay, now I get it. Yeah, somebody said she had an internal gift for happiness, and that just always shone through. Oh, we need more of that in the world. That's Jeez. Right. We do that all the time. Okay, so as you're gathering information and sources, were you thinking any time... I have to make sure all my stuff is checked out. Oh, sure. And make sure that some people start questioning. Because anything you start mentioning JFK, you start mentioning Jagger Hoover. I mean, people are going to start saying, okay, like, what's going on? Is this true? Is this not true? How did you have to worry about that when you're writing a book? Well, I think I hope I did what almost all historians I hope will do, which is, you know, you look for multiple sources. You make sure that the sources you have are valid. I mean, again, fortunately with Inga, you have verbatim transcripts. Yeah, so thank God, uh, yeah. You have the letters. So it's there. Now, there's still an awful lot of misinformation about her. Uh, for example, she was accused of having an affair with Bernard Baruch, who was a famous oh, Wall Street financier. She was thought to have had an affair with Axel Wenner-Gren, who was the world's richest... He's a great character in the book. The world's richest man who had the largest yacht in the world, <laughs> who made his fortune popularizing the home vacuum cleaner and selling international armaments. I mean, you can't make this stuff no, up. No, you can't. You can't. And so uh, there, there is a lot of misinformation about her. And you wonder how it gets stuck in really reputable history books. Mm -hmm. So I do hope that this book will now be the definitive source on Inga's relationship with Jack Kennedy. But again, it's you use, I guess, maybe my journalism training and some other things. You you obviously don't want to be sued for libel and slander, Mm -hmm. so you better make sure it's right. And the Kennedys, of course, generally are often the subject of a lot of gossip and innuendo. And, of course, the same with Roosevelt and Hitler and Hoover. And so it's really hard to sort of separate the wheat from the chaff and know what's true. But... I feel very confident in the book. Uh, all my books, I think, have uh, never made a serious error. I mean, once you can know, it's hard to make yeah. a minor one, but I, I have full confidence the, the book, all the information in the book is vetted. But I took great care to make sure it was. Um, were you a Kenny fan before this? Were you, were you into the Kenny's at all? Well, I wouldn't say I'm a fan. I mean, he's a fascinating character. My, I grew up in a Republican family. My parents hated the candidates. <laughs> As they should have Republicans. So, yeah. but, but, you know, I, I, I know also he was, he was an extremely inspirational fellow. Uh, I remember I was uh, in first grade, and I remember vividly the day he was shot. Yeah. And and spent three days watching the funeral, and you, that was one of the seminal moments of my childhood. Well, everybody says from that time period, they remember where they were with Kennedy. And, and yeah, just the, the majesty and how important it was. Who the, this man must have been incredibly important. And he is. It's a it's a great American story. The, the Kennedys are Shakespearean, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
they're almost unique. I mean, uh, they're just again, they're, I think that's the fascination because really they haven't since the death of Edward Kennedy, the the third generation of Kennedys. You know, they've maybe been they're a congressman, lieutenant yeah. governor, but they haven't re- elevated to the to where the family was before. So um, again, you know, I, I admire many many things about him. There are other things you go, what was he thinking? Why is he doing this? But he's a fascinating character. And, you know, uh, one book I did before this and how I wrote it was it was a comparison of Ronald Reagan and Jack Kennedy because I was fascinated by this Gallup poll that they do every other year on President's Day. Yes, of course. That shows Americans believe that Jack Kennedy and Ronald Reagan were our two greatest presidents. So interesting. Abraham Lincoln scoops in there once in a while, but George Washington is way down. Now, part of that's their recent presidents, but but they have an enduring fascination for the American public and that's how I got into this, and then I discovered Inga. So, yeah, it's so funny. Ronald Reagan, it's, it's, especially in recent years, has really been kind of idealized. Um, I mean, we, I mean, you and I lived through. We're old enough. We lived through the eighties, so we know what it was like. And but the one thing about, about Reagan that I always thought was very interesting, and it's not a show about Reagan, obviously, but just really interesting that it was that he was very charismatic, and he really did know how to speak to the public. He did, and I will tell you, sort of relating that back to the book. So Reagan was obviously a movie star. Yes. Yet a lot of people said Jack Kennedy was the first movie star president. Yes, yes. So in 1945, he's still trying to reconnect with Inga. So they've broken up in 19... Just so people get the... They started their relationship before Pearl Harbor in 1941. It continues to 1942 when they break up or are broken up by his family. Yes. He keeps trying periodically to get her to come back, and she says, I'm not because you've made it clear you can't marry me, and I want marriage. I want kids. I want to have your kids. So I'm going. You know, we're not going to get back together. But he keeps visiting her in Hollywood, where this time she's a gossip columnist and an MGM screenwriter at various no. points and times. She has a, a syndicated column that reaches 20 million readers. She's up there with Luella Parsons and Hedda Hopper. Parsons. Oh yeah, those but two. he he goes to Hollywood. Go to circle back yeah. on the story. Yeah, specifically to live with actors. He he rooms with Robert Stack. Oh, he goes yeah. out to dinner with Gary Cooper. He hangs out with Spencer Tracy and Clark Gable because he's trying to figure out what makes an actor a movie star. And then can I take that, whatever that quality is, and apply yes. it to politics so a politician can become president? He's, he studies it very hard how actors have this aura that attracts people. And, of course, Reagan had it because he was in the movies. Yeah. So that's one reason they're comparable is they were the two movie star presidents. Yeah, they are. And I, yeah, I know about the, I, I'm, a, I'm kind of a Kennedy fan, I guess, mm-hmm. a little bit. I wasn't fanatical about it, but I like I like because they are kind of a fascinating. I know that, I know that uh, John Kennedy, didn't he have political aspirations? Joseph Kennedy? Joseph, I mean, Joseph Kennedy. He, he, yeah. he very much wanted to run for president in 1940. But, but he had been an, what we would call an appeaser. Yeah. Or def- actually, the more correct word is he was a, a defeatist. Yeah. He had gone to Nazi Germany, saw how they were building up their military, was overwhelmed by and impressed by the Nazis, as many people were. Yeah, right, no, right, they were, yeah. And so he just said, look, you know, the, the democracies can't beat him. So the, the best thing that England and France can do is to try to appease him and make, keep him happy because if we go to war with him, the Nazis are going to win. And uh, a lot of people thought that was cowardice. And so, uh, and plus, FDR decided to run for a third term, so yes. he couldn't run. Yeah. Uh, and so his, and so once he realized in late 1939, early 1940, he didn't have a prayer, then he starts transferring all to, his ambitions to his to oldest Jack. son. Yeah. No, not to Jack. Oh, yeah, that's right. You're right. You're right. It wasn't Jack at first. The, yes. the family thought, the, the Kennedy family initially thought Jack Kennedy didn't have much. That's right. You're right. Actually, you're right. Yes. They thought he was kind yes. of a, well, I'd say a loser, but yes. they, they thought the oldest brother was the golden child. Yeah. He, he, uh, his the sister Kathleen, who was the one who introduced Inga and Jack, yeah. said it was considered quote heresy within the family to suggest that Jack could do anything better than Joe Junior. Wow! And so Jack had a t- 
terrible inferiority complex. He wasn't. In fact, his his first words at Harvard to his proctor was, Dr. Wilde, you need to know I'm not as smart as my brother Joe, wow. which was ridiculous. Inga told him, she said, you're a lot smarter than your brother. Yeah. You have more charm than your brother. You have wonderful skills. You're going to be, if you want to be president, you can be president. Nobody had ever t- taken him seriously before. Right, right. So that was another way she had an enormous impact on his life. Yeah, it's, now as you're doing the research and you're putting this all together, and you said you had a little crush on her, was she really affecting your life, too, while you're writing the book? Because, I mean, you have to immerse yourself into the story. She, she certainly made me think a lot about you know priorities in life and how, again, sort of going back and thinking about how my own choices have either influ- influenced the future choices and influenced my options today. Uh, I listened to her little bits of wisdom. I mean, she's very down-to-earth. Like I said, she's not, you know... Uh, some philosopher. She's not Gertrude Stein, but yes. she's but she has a certain charm, and and she's very uh, unique. She has a very unique voice when she writes. She has these unusual colloquialisms that she sort of you know gloms all these experiences she's had in Denmark and Germany and France, and and kind of puts them together in this very unique style. For example, she's she's referring to Joe Kennedy, the old elder, as a man who walks among the people with his wooden shoes on. And that's a Danish expression meaning he's a man of the common people because yeah. wooden shoes are the shoes of the poor. Um, but she, so she had a lot of wisdom, and it's it's phrased, and she gave a lot of thought to how you be happy, how do you deal with love, how do you deal with disappointment, yeah. and so it, there's a lot of wisdom in there. I think people will get a kick out of, and they'll make them think about their own life. I did. I, I thought she had some great stuff. She said, I just, I just, again, just the way she lived and how she just bounced back from everything that just goes on. She just would bounce back. She said, like, she said, I never look back. Yeah, I always, you know. She had these crushing disappointments, and she realized if you dwell on that, you'll you'll ruin your life. You just go forward and yes. you assume there's something else ahead of you. It's and so such a did. lesson. It's such a lesson for all of us that you fall down sometimes, and things happen. Almost said something else, but things happen. <laughs> S happens. Yes, right. yes, you can't always get what you want, as yes. the uh, the great philosopher Mick yes. Jagger said. <laughs> Hey, he was. I mean, speaking of Bob Dylan getting the That's Nobel right. Prize in literature, which he loved Bob Dylan. Uh, but no, but yeah, no. it's a great lesson of just that you, things will happen because it's how life works sometimes. Yeah. And you could dwell on it, but it doesn't really help anything. It doesn't really help your situation today or future. You have to kind of like keep going. And she powered through stuff, which I kind of admired because she kept going. Well, and she had this, she just loved life. And, it, you know, she, just like I said, she didn't get to marry the man she loved. She had several divorces. Uh, towards the end, she was kind of isolated because her last husband, as we said, was on the circuit as a rodeo cowboy, yeah. uh, or cl- I should say, rodeo performer, not a yeah. yeah. Um, and um, and then she had a lot of afflictions, and she ended up getting colon cancer that spread to her yeah. liver. And yet, at the very end, she said she wanted the two things. The one lesson she wanted both of her sons to know is that life is a glorious thing, yeah, and live it to the fullest. And she did. She did. She also gave a U.S. citizen in 1945. Yes. Very cool. Which she said, that was my diploma. If I, if they yeah. really thought I was a spy, I wouldn't have become a citizen. That's true. I like that. I like, I, see, I like the word diploma because it's like, it's like she wanted to graduate from the state she was being put in to where she is like, I am not a spy. I am this. I'm, I want to be American. I think it was a great the, the, the choice, the word choice of diploma. Yeah. yeah. It brings up an image of that kind of like graduation, like yeah. I'm graduating to something you know bigger. That's great. So you liked her. Loved her. Yeah. <laughs> Loved her. Place. I did too. I, I think she's just such a great person. Um, so, I mean, so how, I mean, so when you, when, when did you know you, I mean, she, obviously you were done when she had, she died of cancer and stuff, but like when you finally finished the drafts and I was like, just was, was it hard to put away and say, okay, now I'm kind of, I, our time together is kind of done. Well, it's or? not. That's why I'm here. I get to That's keep right. spending time with her talking yes. about it. In fact, now is the important part is telling other people about her yeah. and getting them to read it and, and realize that she was a person who shouldn't be forgotten, who should be out of the shadows of history. Now, one reason she was in the shadows is she and Jack wanted them to be. They, they yeah. thought their 
the relationship meant a lot to both of them, and they didn't want to publicize it. And, yeah. and I make a big deal of the fact, you know, a lot of women who had relationships with Kennedy who were, that were more physical than, yes. than spiritual made a lot of money after his assassination telling their stories. Oh, yeah, yeah. Inga wouldn't do that. She wouldn't talk to him. In fact, she didn't even tell people that she knew Kennedy. Wow. Uh, people would interview her late in life. They would find out she was a reporter, and she was happy to talk about her time with Hitler. And she'd say in Washington, yes, I interviewed a lot of famous people in Washington. Never mentioned that she knew Jack Kennedy. I love it. Because it mentioned too much to her. Didn't auction off her letters. She kept Good. her letters. Other women who had, you know, even the, a postcard from Jack Kennedy tried to auction yeah, them off for 50000 bucks. Yeah. not her. She <laughs> she loved Jack a lot, and, uh, and that's why. Uh, but I'm glad that she's emerging from the shadows. She deserves it, and uh, she will always be part of my life, so I don't have to say goodbye to her. Yeah, that's true. I like that. Well, now she's a part of my life, too. So the book is it's called it's Inga. Just look for Inga, first of all. Just type that in anywhere. You'll find it. I saw it. It's on Amazon. It's in bookstores. It's just it's such a it's a fascinating book. And I'm saying this out loud, which I'm going to do on all the cameras. This should be a miniseries or movie or limited <laughs> series. Uh, it should bl- be. Bless you, James. Bless you. Seriously. To, <laughs> from my lips to God's ears, I'm saying, and to the ears of studios, I can see it on HBO. So I can see it anywhere. I can see, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's a fascinating story. And to me, it's actually a positive story. Oh, I, I definitely agree. It's, it's an upbeat story. Even though yeah. they don't get to stay together, right. it's a very upbeat it's story. It's an upbeat story. It's like, it, it kind of gives you promise and hope and go, okay. And just the way she lived her life and the different things she did, I was like, I want to live my life right back. I want to be something, you know, it was fascinating. Well, there are a lot of actresses in this town, uh, uh, various, uh, various stature, who are always saying, where's a good role for a woman? Yes. Here's one. It's right here. It's right here, you guys. <laughs> it seriously is right here. If I had any more clout, I would option a book and I would be like, yes, let's do it. <laughs> Thank, you. It. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's a great book. Thank you so much, Scott. Thank Thank you, James. It was a great pleasure to be here. Now, is there anywhere anybody can find you online? Do you have a website or anything? Are you on Twitter, Facebook, anything? Are you anywhere? Yeah, well, yeah. I, I have a website called scottferrisbooks.com. Okay. Um, I, I should be better about it and Twitter and LinkedIn and all, <laughs> yeah. all the stuff we're all in. But uh, uh, if the people want to get sort of the basics and also learn a little bit about the first two books, yes. uh, they, they can go to my website, scottferrisbooks.com. I'm going to get you a book on the Almost what the, the almost President. Yeah. I want to say the title correct. What's the name of the title? It's Almost President, The Men Who Lost the Race but Changed the Name. Yes. I wonder, I'm going to read that, actually. Maybe I'll come back in, if you're well, willing to come back in. Well, it's a very relevant thing. I, in fact, I, I think got, it is, too. I, a question. You know, uh, Donald Trump, for, there's a chapter in the book. There's, there's a lot of biographies on guys who lost and changed history, but there's a chapter about yeah. how important it is for the losing candidate to be gracious, to, to be uh, magnanimous, and to validate the election, mm-hmm. and to legitimize the winner. And I've been very sad that one of yeah. the people running for president this year has already indicated he may not do a concession speech. And and put in doubt in some people's mind that the election was legitimate. Now, whoever loses, whether it's Mrs. Clinton or Mr. Trump, I hope that they will do what's best for the nation and I agree. be a gracious loser. Well, no, no, I agree with you, man. On that, I agree with you, uh, you guys. You can follow us on Bookstuck Online. We are on YouTube. We are on iTunes. Uh, we are, there's a book circle lines on face, a Facebook page. If you go to Twitter, it's at book circle on. It's at book circle on. You can follow me at James Lott Jr. all over the universe that's out there, of course, all the interwebs. Yeah, I say interwebs still. Um, for this interview, it'll be on my pages. I'm going to share this interview with people. It'll be on our pages. It'll be up there. You can listen to it, download it. Go ahead and rate and like and comment. And if you have any questions you want me to direct to him, send them to me and I'll, you know, I'll send them to him. So if you have anything, anything you want to know more about or want to know some things we talked about. So thank you so much for watching us here on Bookstucker Online. I will see you next time. Thank you. From managing editor Jason Squamata, executive producers Maria Menunos, Phil Svitek, and Kevin Undergaro, we would like to thank you for tuning in to Book Circle Online. For more discussion, go to bookcircleonline.com. And if you have comments, questions, or book title suggestions, write us at info at bookcircleonline.com. 
I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this is Book Circle Online. BCO, join the circle.